Well, good morning, church. Hey, can I get a hallelujah this morning? Yeah, let's give the Lord the best. Let's give him our best. Let's say hallelujah one more time. Hallelujah. Man, it is so good. I love that song before in the middle song, He Won't. Um, that was so good. Uh, thank you to our team for leading us in worship. You know, one of the things that we uh, made a resolution as a church to do in this new year is to pray big prayers. And uh, so as we enter into this time of worshiping through the word, um, let's just pray and let's pray a big prayer because here's what I know today. I know that many of us came here and that's all that we have is a hallelujah, right? Like we've had a week uh, that, that has been a challenging week. Maybe we're in a place that we just didn't even ever imagine being and all we have is a hallelujah. But I want us all to know and I, want, I have to tell myself that, that God is enough and he's bigger than that and he's with us even in those moments. So let's pray. Father God, we just come to you today, and Lord, you know uh, exactly what on, what's on each and every one of our hearts. God, you know what we've experienced over the past week uh, since we've been together. God, you know the challenges that we face. God, you know the barriers that we've had to break. God, you know the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the temptations we've had to overcome. God, you know all of that, all of that. And Father, Lord, you have been with us from generation to generation to generation, and you will continue to be with us uh, generations long after us. And God, we just want to come to you today and say hallelujah, hallelujah for being a big God, hallelujah for being a God that loves us, God, for, hallelujah for being a God that cares for each and every one of us, who's put a calling on each and every one of our lives, who's with us in the midst of the mess who's with us and never leaves us, never forsakes us. And God, we say thank you for that. And Lord, now as we get ready to jump into your word, we just ask that you would, uh, you would open our eyes, God. You would uh, unplug our ears. You would soften our hearts so that we could see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for us today, God. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I'm so excited that you're with us today. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online as well, and uh, we're so grateful. I understand that uh, we may have another plumbing issue today, um, so uh, I apologize. You may have to just uh, hold it till the end, <laughs> just so you know. Um, so, uh, so we're working on it. We're going to try and get it fixed. It was working this morning, but you know, it, it stopped working. So, um, so just know that. Uh, but again, I'm really glad that you're here this morning, and we have been studying uh, this very small passage in Colossians over the past three weeks, and we'll continue it this week and next week. And, and we've been diving into Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, and, uh, and we've been uh, just picking it apart. And, and um, it's a scripture or a passage of scripture that's written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was an apostle. He has written most of the New Testament. Uh, so a good, a good chunk of the New Testament was written by him. He was a church planner. Uh, he would go around and he would tell others about Jesus. He would lead people to Jesus. He would start a church and then he'd leave and do it again somewhere else. And then he wrote these letters to all these churches that he was involved in starting and he would encourage them and, 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 and sometimes correct them. He'd have, uh, sometimes he would have encouraging words to say. Other times he'd have words of warning. And, uh, and so he's writing this letter to a small church uh, in Colossae who was struggling with this thing called heresy. And, uh, and so we've been digging this scripture apart. And from this passage, we are discovering uh, some truths. We're discovering five truths that help us to change the way we change so that we can have lasting change in our lives. And so, you know, for about now, the gyms are starting to empty out again. They were really packed from January 1st to about now. And now people have, you know, kind of bailed on their resolution for getting fit. And so they're not going to the gym as often. So they're starting to uh, go back to normal and 
go back to just a few people being in there. Uh, some people, uh, and so the, the, the resolution to change the way they changed, it didn't stick. And then other people, uh, you've been on a diet, you worked really hard the first couple of weeks, but now you're finding yourself going back to those old habits maybe of eating the things that you know you shouldn't eat uh, because it just didn't stick. Uh, you wanted to change, but it didn't hold. Uh, other people, uh, you know, like you're saying, hey, I'm going to run, I'm going to run more, I'm going to walk more. And you started out really well. And now here we are, we're about 20 days, 22 days into it, and maybe you're not doing the things that you, you said you were going to do at the beginning of the year because it just didn't stick. You wanted to change. And so here's what we've been talking about is we want to change the way we change so that we can see lasting change in our lives. And, and this morning, uh, the truth, the one that we'll discover this morning is simply this, that it's not a competition, it's a calling. That the Christian life is not a competition, but rather it's a calling. And so we're going to turn again to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I know some of you are like, Pastor, are we ever going to move on to this passage first? And like, eventually we'll get there, but I want, you to, I want this verse to be grounded in you. I want this verse to be rooted in you uh, as you start the new year. And so we're going to keep picking it apart, and we're going to keep bringing it up uh, again until next week. And so I want us to look at it one more time and read it together. And maybe if you're brave enough, because I challenge you to memorize it, I challenge you to put it in your heart, put it in your mind. Uh, maybe you'll be brave enough. You'll just close your eyes and you'll just say it with us out loud. But here's uh, what Paul says. He says, so then just as you received Christ, right? Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. Everybody say continue. 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 Thank you. Continue to live your lives in him. And then he goes on. He says, um, rooted and built up in him, uh, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And then Paul goes on in verse 8 and he says this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You see, we live in this world today. I don't know if you uh, have, have really thought about this or maybe you have, but we live in this world today that creates a culture of competition. We really do. We live in a world that creates this culture of competition. I mean, you don't have to go far to figure this out. Anyone ever seen uh, toddlers and tiaras? Like, you're not going to admit it. I, I don't blame you for that, but that's like crazy competition. Or, or maybe uh, because we live in this world of competition, maybe you have seen um, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, right? Like, again, you're not going to uh, admit to it or own up to it that you've seen the show, but m many of you have. Or, or how about Dance Moms, right? Like, that is like probably the worst competition show out there. And, uh, and so we've seen it, but we live in this culture of competition, and we're constantly competing. Uh, remember the huge NFL, NFL scandal of 2015? It was known as Deflate Gate, right? I don't know if you remember that. That was when uh, where Tom Brady and his then uh, New England Patriots were accused of tampering with footballs in the AFC Championship game against the Indianapolis Colts. Col Colts, Colts, yeah, Colts. And, uh, and so the level of competition gets so, has gotten so fierce that we will do whatever it takes to get the edge on our opponent. We'll do whatever it takes to just get and be a little bit better than the next person. And the same thing, the same thing that can make a good athlete make poor decisions, the same thing that can make a good athlete make poor decisions can also be one of the most corrosive things in your spiritual life, the spirit of competition. And now don't get me wrong, I love to compete and I love to win. 
Uh, you can ask my family when we throw down a game of Monopoly, I'm all in. Like, I am in it to win it. Last week, me and Jen and, and Jackson, we went to Abington and uh, into this little town, and we were visiting some of the shops, and one of the shops had a chess board, and it was all set up. And Jackson's like, you want to play chess? And I'm like, oh, it's on. And like, I took him down. Like, I did not hold back. I'm like, you are going down. And I whooped him. He had nothing left but maybe a couple pawns, and that was it. And it was like, game on. I love competition. But when you develop a spirit of competition that this world fosters, it can become toxic. And it can definitely become toxic to our spiritual lives. For example, the culture, uh, culture says that, uh, that I have to buy a new iPhone, that I have to buy a new iPhone. Every time it comes out, the culture says, I need to buy it. Now, I didn't know there was anything wrong with my iPhone until I saw your brand new iPhone. And then when I saw your brand new iPhone, I was like, it's unbearable of me to think of living this life without a new iPhone because I wanted to be like you. I wanted to have the thing that you had. Uh, it's a culture of competition that is so obvious in the world we live in. And we don't take pictures anymore to preserve our family legacy. Like, that's not why we, uh, many of us take pictures. We take pictures to show off through social media and to see how many likes we can get, right? Like, that's why we show off. That's why we take pictures. We want to show off. We want to get likes. We want people to see what we're doing and that life is good. And even, and even some of us, we stage, right? We stage our pictures. Uh, we, we, we stage pictures to make ourselves look better than we actually are. Like, I, I don't know if you've done it. I've done it once or twice. I found myself doing it. I'm like, whoa, you need to stop. But I, I took a picture like of me doing my devotions and I got my books stacked up, right? And I put, the, I put books in there that people might be impressed by. And then I had my Bible and I had my little, I don't drink coffee, so I had my little tea there. And, and I had, and I staged this picture to make people think that my life was better than it actually was. See, we used to take pictures just so we could have them, just so we could go back and have memories and look at them and go, oh, that was nice. But now we take pictures with the intention of one-upping someone else. We take pictures to uh, and be impressive to others. We take pictures to get likes. And here's the question I want us to think about today. It's this, is it possible? Is it possible to be a follower of Jesus today where everything is centered around the image that you project more than the substance of the life that you live? Is it possible to be a follower of Jesus today where everything is centered around the image that you project more than the substance of the life that you live? Remember what Paul said in, in verse eight? He said these words right off the bat. He said, see to it, church, see to it that no one takes you captive. You see, the spirit of competition in our relationships with God is captivity for our souls. The moment we start competing with other people, the moment we try and make ourselves better than other people or look better than other people, we become captive to the spirit of competition. And Paul's like, he's just saying, watch out, Christian. He's like, watch out, follower of Jesus. Make sure that none of this worldly stuff twists the truth that takes you captive. And I just want to remind us that the potential of or the spirit of competition can and could take you captive. And along with that, I would say this, that the death of contentment is comparison. That when we begin to compare our lives to other people's lives, that is when we put to death contentment in our own lives. Competition takes you captive in your walk with Christ and it kills 
your sense of contentment. Like if you're feeling uncontent, if you're feeling uneasy about your life, I would encourage you to think about, am I living with a spirit of competition? Am I comparing, constantly comparing my life to other people's lives? And the same thing that could make you a great athlete, the spirit of competition could also make you a captive Christian if you buy into the hollow deception of competition. And have you ever thought um, that a lot of our misery, think about this with me, that a lot of our misery um, doesn't come from our life situations, that a lot of our misery comes from comparing our life situation with other people's life situation. And, And we get caught up. We get caught up in comparing our life to others, and we never take into account this idea that all of us have a different calling. Like, I wasn't created to be like Josh Stone, and Josh Stone wasn't created to be like me. We have a different calling. I wasn't called to be like Steve, and Steve wasn't called to be like me. We have a different calling, so it would be crazy for me to compare my life to either one of these guys who I love and admire and think that I need to be like them when God's called me to be who I am. And so... So often people will ask me this question. They'll say, Pastor, what is my calling? Now, we don't use the word calling. Oftentimes they'll say something like, how do I know what, my, what God's will is for my life? Or maybe they'll ask the question, how do I know what God wants me to do with my life? Or maybe they'll ask me the question, how do I know what God's purpose is for my life? But what we're really talking about is this idea of calling. We're talking about what is it that God, who has God called me to be? How can I know what God's calling is in my life. And here's what I want you to know is when we focus not so much on other people, but when we focus on our calling, who God has called us to be, we will often ignore the temptation to compare our lives to others for, for, for temporary fulfillment. Like we'll often just say, you know what, it doesn't matter because I'm living God's calling for my life. And when someone gets a sense of calling in their life, they become almost obsessed with it. But here's some truth. The world doesn't live by calling. The world doesn't care about your calling. The world lives by competition. Apple gets wealthy by competition. The world lives in this this world of competition. And the world measures itself against itself. And people are constantly measuring up their lives against other people's lives. And that even creeps into the church, if we're honest. And that even creeps into our own spirits. And eventually, it takes captive our lives uh, to where we see someone else doing something and, and we wonder why we can't do it. And we become discouraged in our souls and we give up our calling. Like it happens all the time. We see Spring Deeds doing all the things that Spring Deeds does. And you're like, I wanna be like Spring Deeds, but God hasn't called you to be like Spring Deeds. But you try and live your life like Spring Deeds does and you fail because that's not who God has called you to be. And you get spiritually frustrated because you're spending your time comparing your life to her life rather than discovering what God's calling is on your own life. And so we give up. And the spirit of competition is dangerous. And it's dangerous on both extremes because if you live your life based on comparison, and follow me with this, if you live your life based on comparison of the spirituality of others, so you begin to compare your life to uh, someone else's life that you feel like is more spiritual than you are, or the trajectory of other lives, two things will happen if you compare your life to other people. Uh, First of all, it creates a sense of condemnation. It could because the enemy will whisper in your ear and say, you're not as good as so-and-so 
And so you live in a place of bitterness and insecurity because you feel less than, because your life doesn't measure up to someone else's life that you look up to. Or the reverse of that is true too. Maybe you're someone who uh, you're doing better than someone else and you're like, ah, look at my life. I'm doing pretty good. Like compared to those people, I'm doing really good. Compared to so-and-so, I'm doing pretty darn good. And you begin to live a life of complacency because you're like, hey, like I'm not as bad as them. I'm doing pretty good. I go to church. I got a small group. They don't do that. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And then you fall into this uh, this, this area of pride or complacency because you think that you are better off than someone else. And you think you've arrived and you're dead even with them but, uh, because, you're de- because you're dead even with them and, uh, or even better than them. But maybe God has called you to not just be better than them. Maybe God's called you to do more things, to be more available to him, to do something greater than just to be better than someone else. Maybe God's given you more capacity to do something different. Either way you look at it, the spirit of, of, of comparison and competition takes us captive and it's corruptive to our souls. And how often do we see somebody doing something in the church, right? Like how, you may have experienced this where you see someone doing something in the church and we're like, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna give that a try. I'm gonna be just like so-and-so and we fail and we get frustrated and we wanna quit or we wanna burn, and we get burned out. I can remember early in my ministry uh, when I was doing student ministry and we would take students to these conferences and there would be this guy on the stage who would be sharing the gospel and leading students to Christ. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to do that. Like, I want to be the guy on the stage. I want to be the one that is leading others to Christ and and I want to lead thousands of students to Christ. And I said, I'm going to try it. And I started trying and I would reach out to these guys. Hey, how'd you get in? How'd you get into this? How did you do that? Like, how'd you get started? And I tried to start doing that. And I failed. I fell flat on my face. And the reason I fell flat on my face is because that's not God's calling on my life. Like God didn't call me to be a communicator to students, to lead thousands of students to Christ, to be the guy on the stage. That's not my calling. And, and what if we're trying to do something? Think about this. What if you're trying to do something that you were never called to do? You see, here's what I want you to hear this morning is this, that God has called you to live out your calling not someone else's calling. Do you hear that? God's called you to live out your calling, not someone else's calling. Ephesians, uh, Paul says this in chapter four, verses one and two. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, he says that because he's writing from prison. He says, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling, what? That you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul's like, he's like, doesn't speak of the calling based on what you do, but rather on who you are. And he's like, check it out. He's like, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Not the calling that your brothers received, not the calling that your sisters received, not the calling that someone else has received, but live your life worthy of the calling which you have received. And usually when we think of calling, we think of what God, what does God want me to do? But I think of calling when I read the scriptures, uh, it's something so much different. It's not what God wants you to do, but it's rather the main ambition is based on something he wants you to be. What does God want you to be? Who has he called you to be? And so for me, it's about accomplishing everything that has, God has uh, placed uh, on my life. And having this awareness of the fullness of Christ 
that is already in me. I want to look back at, second, or at Colossians again, chapter 2, but I want to look at verses 9 and 10. And I'll, I've fallen in love with this passage this week. And, uh, and it's something that is, just resonates with me. And I want to read it to you. Here's what it says. It says, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then verse 10 says, And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now, let me unpack this for you real quick. In verse 9, Paul says how full Jesus is. That Paul says that there is no part of God that is not expressed in Jesus. That Paul's saying, check it out, he's saying the fullness of God is found in Jesus. That when you look at Jesus, you see God. That every part of God is in Jesus. That every character, every quality, everything about God you see in Jesus. And so just think about it this way, that when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. So that's what Paul says at the beginning. And then without taking a, uh, a breath, without hesitation, in verse 10, he declares how the fullness of Jesus has been given to you. So let me just picture this, help you picture this. God, the fullness of God is in Jesus. Everything that God has, everything that God is, is in Jesus. And then Paul says without hesitation, everything that is in Jesus, the fullness of Jesus Christ is in you, which you should be going, amen, that's awesome, hallelujah, because everything that's in God was in Jesus, and everything that was in Jesus is in you. The fullness of Jesus Christ is in you if you believe. So in other words, everything about God is in you through Jesus Christ. And I love that. I get excited about that. I think that's so good because he's declaring how the fullness of Christ is living inside of you. That everything that we admire about God, his love, his unconditional, extravagant love, everything about God, his faith, his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace was found in Jesus. And everything that is found in Jesus is also in you, if you believe. You see how your little life and my little life, how our little lives that is trying, we're trying so hard to measure up to some standard of the world or we're trying so hard to live a life that was super um, superimposed on you from some societal norm like keeping up with the Kardashians. Uh, our little life that, that, that lives these crazy things that we live for like this Snapchat society that where I have to make my life look interesting for 10 seconds so people think I'm having fun. That little life has been given everything it needs through the fullness of Jesus Christ. Amen, brother. Preach it, preacher. That's good stuff. I got to talk to myself here. So let me rewind because I don't think you're getting it. The fullness of God, everything that God is, was found in Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, Everything that was in Jesus is fully in you. Hallelujah. All right, just making sure you're listening. To me, that's like revolutionary. To me, that's amazing. And so there's this reality 
that Paul wants to speak over your life today. And the reality is this, that the fullness of Jesus Christ has been given to you if you believe. That this, this is the death blow to the spirit of competition and comparison because if I have the fullness of Christ and if you have the fullness of Christ, if I have everything that God has in Christ, if I am full of love, if I am full of joy, if I'm full of affirmation, if I'm full of blessing, if I'm full of strength, if I'm full of Jesus, turn to the person next to you and just say, you're full of it because you're full of it. You're full of the fullness of Christ. If you have all these things, if I'm full of Jesus and he's full of God, what in the world do I have to prove to anyone else? I got the fullness of God in me through Jesus. I don't need to prove anything else to anyone else because I got all that I need. Freedom in Christ has nothing to prove to the world. Now, if we feel the Spirit, of competition welling up in us. And sometimes we do. We get this feeling like the need to outdo someone's story or maybe we feel the need to make ourselves look more important than we are. I think there's three questions that we can ask ourselves uh, that will break that spirit. Like when that spirit of competition begins to well up in us because we're human, right? And we have temptation, we face temptation. And when that spirit of competition wells up in us, just ask these three questions. What am I trying to prove? Like, what am I trying to prove? If I'm comparing my life to someone else, if I'm trying to one-up someone else, if I'm trying to make myself look like someone I'm not, what am I trying to prove? I want to make my life more. Uh, um, true freedom in Christ comes from the moment you realize that you have nothing to prove. Nothing to prove because Christ, uh, because, um, because Christ fully approves of you. Because through God, you already have approval. And so the antidote to comparison is to get secure in Christ as soon as possible, to recognize that the fullness of God was in Jesus and the fullness of Jesus is in me if I believe. And that's all I need. I don't need anyone else's approval. I just need that. The second question I would encourage you to ask is who am I trying to prove it to? Like, what, what am I trying to prove? Who am I trying to prove it to? Do I really need to prove myself to anyone? I mean, just ask that question. No, I don't. I got the fullness of Christ in me. Why do I need to prove myself to anyone else? Because if you're trying to prove it to the people that already love you, guess what? They already love you. You don't need to prove it to them. And if you're trying to prove it to people that will never love you, well, that's a complete waste of time. And, and because even if you gain their approval, what have you gained? I mean, if their love is something that had to be earned, then it's not really true love. If your love is something that you have to buy, we call that something else. It's not love. And so we can't run around all of our lives hoping someone likes us. We got to find a place of fullness in Christ where we wake up every morning. Check this out. We wake up every morning and we connect to the awareness of the fullness of Christ. We wake up every morning and we're like, hey, the fullness of God was in Jesus and the fullness of Jesus is in me if I believe in him. That's all I need is the approval of my king and my Lord and my savior. That's it. I don't need the approval of anything else. I just need his approval. And when you know that you're called by God, you no longer have to live for the applause of anyone except the applause of your heavenly father who loved you before you got the raise, who loved you when you were broke, who loved you uh, when you had an issue that you couldn't seem to get past. He's loved you. He's approved of you. He's been with you through everything. And when you have the affirmation from someone who knows you and com completely and still loves you, right? Right? Like God knows you 
He knows all of us. He knows our faults. He knows our failures. He knows our hangups. He knows our mishaps. He knows it all. And he still loves you. And when you have the approval of someone that loves you, uh, you the spirit of competition is broken. We don't, we don't find ourselves wanting to compare our lives to other people's lives because you know that you have a higher calling because it's not about competition. It's all about calling. And then the third question you ask is for why? What reason? Like what good are these affirmations that I'm seeking as I compare and compete for them? What good are these relationships? What good is this stuff? So I declare, you gotta declare, I'm nothing. I am nothing without Jesus. I am nothing without him, but through him, I have everything. Without him, nothing. With him, the fullness of God. And every day is the beginning of true freedom in Christ. God does not judge my life based upon what I do. Instead, God calls me to be faithful with what I have been given. He doesn't judge me based on what I do. He calls me to be faithful with the things that he has called me, with, with what he has given me. And what that means is that if God has called me to preach and teach and reach, which I believe God has called me to preach and teach and reach, if he's called me to do that, then I'm responsible to God to invest all of myself into that calling because that is who God has called me to be. And so that also means that I have to be careful I have to be careful not to be in competition with other preachers, right? Like I have to be careful not to compare myself with other preachers. And God's not looking for me to bring the same results as Andy Stanley in Alpharetta, Georgia. God's not looking at me to bring the same results as Stephen Furtick in somewhere in South Carolina. God's not calling me to that. God expects me to bring the maximum return with what he has given Rick Connor. And the same is true for you. Whatever your calling is, God hasn't called us to compare our lives to other people. He's called us to get the maximum results for the, the way he has equipped us to live out our calling. You know what gets God excited? Let me just share with you. This is what get, get, gets God excited. God gets excited when he becomes the treasure in your heart that is greater than all of your successes. That's what gets God excited when he becomes the treasure in your heart. When you wake up in the morning recognizing that the fullness of God was in Jesus and because I love Jesus and have said yes to Jesus, the fullness of God is in me and I'm gonna live my calling and not compare or compete with other people but be who God has called me to be. Listen, you wanna be successful? Church, you want to be successful? You really want to be successful? Start the fullness of Christ and stop living to prove your worth to others. You don't have to prove your worth to others. There is an audience of one and his name is Jesus. And when we operate from a fullness of Christ, we are free. And let me tell you what you're free to do. You're free to truly love. You're free to truly serve. We are free to truly work in the Lord because we are not working from a place of emptiness, but we are working from a place of the fullness of Jesus. And so let me just say to you, you'll never, ever, ever fill your emptiness from a place of emptiness. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't fill your emptiness from a place of emptiness. And you will never find what you're looking for until Jesus becomes the fullness that defines your life. The only antidote to a culture of competition, 
and comparison is a constant awareness of our connection to the source of all fullness, who is Jesus. Living the Christian life, it's not a competition. It's not comparing. Living the Christian life is a calling. It's living in the fullness of Jesus day in and day out. So let me just remind you one more time. The fullness of God, everything that God was, was found in Jesus. And Paul says, the fullness of Jesus is found in those who believe. Do you believe? Are you experiencing and living out of the fullness of Jesus? Or are you trying to live your life out of the emptiness of competition and comparison? And the list goes on. Because here's what I know that I know that I know. That when we live our lives out of the fullness of Christ, then and only then can we experience the fullness of life. As we wrap up today, I just want to declare a few things over you today. I want you to hear these things. The first thing I want to declare over you is that you are fully forgiven in Christ. Do you hear that? You are fully forgiven in Christ. You are fully loved and accepted by God. And you don't need to prove yourself to anyone on this planet. The only person that you need the approval of is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey, would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father God, I just... Lord, I don't know about anyone else in here, but Lord, I know that in my life that there have been many times recently and in my past where I've lived the life of competition and comparison, where I've tried to measure up to someone who I'm not, where I've tried to compare my life to other people's lives and wish for things that other people had but Lord none of that really matters God I don't need to prove myself to anyone I just need to be who you've called me to be and Lord I know I'm not the only person in here that has been trapped or held captive by this idea of comparing and competition so Lord in this moment Lord maybe we just need to offer that up to you Lord maybe we just need to experience the fullness of what you have to offer rather than the emptiness of what the world has to offer I just invite you right now, wherever you are, 
Maybe you need to open your arms. Maybe you need to just be in a posture in your heart of receiving the fullness of Christ, of recognizing that the fullness of God that was in Jesus is available to you if you believe. And maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe that's the step you need to take right now. Maybe you need to recognize I've been living my life from empty rather than from full. And I want to live my life from full going forward. So Jesus, would you come? Would you forgive me of my sin and my junk and my mess? Would you restore me? Make me whole again? Fill me with all this fullness? so that I can live my life on purpose for you, the audience of one. God, I'm asking, Lord, that you would just do some big things in this room. God, that you would fill people's hearts with your love, that you would encourage folks to surrender fully to you so that they can experience all that you have for them. That people would no longer live out of their emptiness, but would begin to live out of their fullness. God, would you, would your spirit just work in the lives of people today? Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing this last song called Reckless Love. It's an amazing song that talks about this love that God has for you. And I would just encourage you to sing it with all your heart. But I want to invite you to come, though. If you want to spend some more time with the Lord, you come and pray. Listen, there is nobody that's going to look at you funny if you walk down here and you spend time with the Lord on your knees in prayer. And if they do, they need to be down here right beside you. This is a place for you to come. If you want to come and surrender to the Lord, you come and surrender. If you want to come and celebrate what God's doing in your life, you come and celebrate. If you want to come and say, thank you, God, for the fullness of Jesus found in me, you come and do that. Whatever it is, this place is open for you. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm right here on the front row. I'd be honored to do that. But this is a time of worship for you to come and to be with the Lord. So let's sing this song together.